Well, hello, friends. Just a quick message here first to thank all of you who are listeners for your expressions of support over the months and years. It's great to get feedback from you. That's one of the most, uh, I don't know, precious things a priest can get, at least I feel, knowing whether that message connected, whether for good or for ill. It is hard to know sometimes. (laughs) What I consider a barn burner homily may not really be one. And preaching that maybe I feel is lackluster or uh, insipid or just weak. Well, that might very well be just the thing someone needs to hear. So thank you for that. A few of you have been supporting this podcast with a monthly donation through Anchor, which is the platform I make this on. So thank you for that. Um, Those are very generous contributions that help defray some of the, the costs I wanted to let you know about another way to support the podcast. I am very interested in the possibilities of Bitcoin to affect the way we do business, not just online, but really everywhere. It's something that I really want to bring to the people of my parishes here, Blessed Sacrament and Christ the King in Kansas City, Kansas, especially those who are sending money overseas or for those who don't have access to a long-term store of value or investment opportunities. I think the church can work on being receptive to this new innovation, these digital assets. Anyway, it's something I'd love to talk your ear off about sometime uh, if you are interested. But I just want to mention to you that if you'd like to be a part of this growing financial change, this ecosystem really, and support this homily podcast, download the Breeze app, B-R-E-E-Z, and search for this podcast, the Father Nick Blaha Homily Podcast. Uh, You can load Bitcoin into that app and then stream it to your favorite podcasts in tiny, tiny amounts. And that's based on how much you listen rather than a set amount as a subscription that's just given regardless of how much you're actually listening to the podcast. You know, I think this has the potential to revolutionize the way we pay for content like podcasts, but also news and music and all sorts of other things, even apart from the effects it could have on our monetary system in general and putting sound money back into the hands of everyday people. So I've dipped my toes into this. I'd love to tell you more about it or give you a hand with setting it up if you're interested. But if not, carry on and thanks for the support and the encouragement. Thank you as well for your faithful, faith-filled listening, whether you're new to this podcast or you've been listening since my days at Most Pure Heart of Mary, which I remember fondly. The peace of Christ be on your houses. Viva Cristo Rey. Guardian angels and patron saints, pray pray for us. Our gospel today presents to us this summary, this recapturing of everything that the Old Testament law was meant to teach and to show and to challenge. These two commandments summarize the whole of the law, all of God's will with regard to the faithfulness and obedience of his people. And these two commandments should challenge us. They should should throw us back in surprise and repentance. Because who among us here can, with a clear conscience, truly say, yep, I love God that way with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, with nothing left over, nothing to give, but what I've already given, without fear, without holding anything back, 
total surrender. I've been doing it for years. <laughs> I suggest that if that is the natural self-assessment that comes to mind when we hear these words, we're not paying very close attention. Because the love of God in this way isn't within our strength. It's not within our capacity as human beings. God alone can give us this capacity. God alone can give us the supernatural life to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a challenging thing. It should, it should absolutely bewilder us and cause us to cry out, have mercy, Lord, for we've sinned. We have not loved you in this way. And so to loving our neighbor as ourselves, who among us can with a clear conscience and total sincerity say, yep, that's how I love people in my life. I love them as if they were my very self, as if there were no distinction between us, and that to, good, to do good for that person, especially those in need, is to receive a benefit myself. Who among us can say that? I can't. It's the work of a lifetime. It's the work of supernatural grace. But so too, in my years of priesthood, I've discovered that it's not at all obvious what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves because there's a lot of people who don't love themselves. What does it even mean to love our neighbor as ourselves when we dislike or despise or hate ourselves? It's quite common, far more common than perhaps you would suspect. It's easy to see it in more drastic examples. I think we, we see a lot of instances I've come to understand maybe just through contact and conversation and, and reflection why it is that people like to disfigure themselves. You see a lot of this. This is becoming more and more common. Covering themselves in disfiguring or ugly things. And then even more strongly than that, doing things to provoke other people's hatred. Happens a lot. Why are you that way? Why do you do that kind of thing? Why do you, why do you hurt people? Why do you provoke people in that way? It's, it's to elicit a negative, hateful response because they hate themselves and they want confirmation of that in the behavior of the people around them. It's a distressing thing to see. It's a tragic, painful thing to see. Certainly, to live it is even more so. So this question of what does it even mean to love our neighbors ourselves is grounded in the reality that we have to love ourselves. That it's not always just automatic in the way that this text might indicate. Into this predicament of questioning, is it even good that I exist? Why should I love myself? Why should I like myself? The gospel message is preached. Down through the centuries, the church has presented this same proclamation that every human life has dignity and worth, that every single human person is the result of a unique thought of God who has been willed into existence and is destined 
for a life of eternal love and communion with him forever. Without exception. That gospel has much to say, not just to the people of the past, but to us today and to every generation, to every human person that has ever lived, is living, or will live. And that is why the church will persevere in her proclamation to the end of the world. So I'd like to say a little bit about that, that that gospel. I'd like to reflect on that today using the words of a papal encyclical written by Pope John Paul II. A few weeks ago, at the beginning of the month of October, as a way of starting our reflections on this month when we respect life, I used the words of another papal encyclical to reflect a little bit about looking upstream to discern what is the source, what is the disaster that's caused all of the the wreckage and heartbreak and death that we're seeing downstream. Do any of you remember the name of that papal encyclical that I talked about at the beginning of October? Shout it out if you remember it. Humanae Vitae. There it is. Good. Little tip. You can always check in with 4 p.m. Mass Crowd if you need, if you need hints. You can always, hey, hey, is there a question this Sunday? <laughs> Good. Good memory. Humanae Vitae. Pope Paul VI in 1968 writing about how if by human means, by technology, we separate procreation from the conjugal union of spouses, all sorts of death and destruction will result. Lowering of morality, loss of respect for women, increasing the rates of divorce, broken families, etc., etc. Right? We, t- we considered that. Now, 30 years later, Pope St. John Paul II took up the same message, but in the context of what he entitled an encyclical, the Gospel of Life. Evangelium Vitae. First was Humanae Vitae. The second, Evangelium Vitae. On human life and on the gospel of life. And I'd like to end this month of October on which we focus particularly on respect for life, reflecting a little bit on that that papal encyclical, just to share with you some of the passages from there that I think are very important. The first is simply this. The church, who has been faithfully contemplating the mystery of redemption, recognizes that she is called to proclaim to the people of every time this gospel, which is the source of invincible hope and true joy in every period of history. The gospel of God's love for man, the gospel of the dignity of the human person, and the gospel of life are a single and indivisible gospel. They're the same thing. For this reason, we have to consider as well what this means. And I think the Pope approaches this very uh, important point through the lens of the gospel of life, which begins at the very origins of humanity. It begins at the very beginning of our scriptures in the book of Genesis, in which we see man is created for a full and perfect life. That's God's will. He does not create death. That's the result of sinful disobedience. 
And he, he makes a very important point, which I think is one that we need to hear as well. I need to hear it. <clears throat> the point is this. We hear our, our command, you shall love the neighbor, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> What's the opposite of that? Well, we find it at the very beginning in the book of Genesis where Cain slays his brother Abel, murders him out of jealousy. And God asks him, where is your brother Abel? What does Cain say in response? Say it. Am I my brother's keeper? That's, well, actually he says first, he tells a lie. I don't know. He says, I don't know. Of course he knows. He knows exactly what happened to his brother Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? There we have it. The command to love our neighbors ourselves and Cain's response, having murdered his brother. Am I my brother's keeper? What does that, what does that have to do with me? This is a profoundly important thing for us to consider and to meditate on and to put into practice in our lives. Now, this first response is very important. I don't know. The lie which covers up and conceals the truth of a crime. Pope John Paul II says this, Cain does not wish to think about his brother and refuses to accept the responsibility which every person has towards brother, uh, towards others, excuse me. We cannot but think of today's tendency for people to refuse to accept responsibility for their brothers and sisters. Symptoms of this trend include the lack of solidarity towards society's weakest members, such as the elderly, the infirm, immigrants, children, especially the unborn, and the indifference frequently found in relations between the world's peoples. From this basic question, we have to answer ourselves. What do we say? What is happening to your brother? Do we respond, I love him as my, as my own self, or what does that have to do with me? And to this point, we are called here, particularly in this time, but throughout our lives, to address those hidden forms of injustice that attack life at its most vulnerable. And I have to say, there are times when I really and truly struggle I really and truly struggle because of the ways in which our shepherds have failed to present and proclaim the gospel of life credibly. It troubles me. It, it gives me great shame to see the ways in which we have made our own deals with not the gospel of life, but the culture of death. We've not spoken plainly about these things that are so clear, so basic to our, our dignity as human persons. For this reason, they continue unabated. This distresses me enormously. And I'll be honest, as a, as a member of the church's leadership, 
I struggle to look the people in the eye who are on that frontline battle, fighting to save lives, to serve human dignity at every stage, both from conception and to its natural end, putting their jobs, their reputations on the line, making tremendous sacrifices, serving those people in great need on the margins, I can hardly look them in the eye because of the way that we've defected from that witness to the gospel of life as the leadership of the church. I speak accepting, of course, our own Archbishop Joseph Nelman, who is outspoken and heroic in the way he proclaims and teaches and applies even the discipline of the church to those who openly and publicly contradict it. Pray for him. Pray for all the bishops that they would restore their moral and spiritual authority. No wonder, no wonder our church has lost great trust of its people because we've sacrificed it in the name of, I don't know what, comfort, respect. As a seminarian, I was struck by something that I'll never forget. It was an incident that took place in St. Louis there was a Catholic hospital that was conducting a benefit concert and it invited a number of artists to come sing, one of whom was Cheryl Crow. Now, Cheryl Crow is a very famous artist and would have brought in a lot of money. But Cheryl Crow was also a very public advocate for unrestricted abortion rights. And the Catholic Archbishop of St. Louis intervened and he disinvited Cheryl Crow from that concert. And he explained why in the following way. When for economic gain, a Catholic institution associates itself with such a high-profile proponent of the destruction of innocent lives, members of the church and other people of goodwill have the right to be confirmed in their commitment to the gospel of life. That's true. I knew that was true from the bottom of my heart when I, when I heard that statement. And I continue to see the hurt and the disappointment on the part of members of the church and other people of goodwill who do not see their leaders confirming them in their commitment to the gospel of life. So, pray for our leaders. Pray for them, pray for our shepherds. Pray that they would overcome whatever obstacles there are to become incredible witnesses again to this gospel, which we are in dire need of hearing. Too many of us know what it means to live not loving ourselves, but hating ourselves and needing to hear the truth of that message, the truth of the good news of Jesus, to rescue us from that despair and that darkness. And I know many of you here are probably thinking to yourselves, all right, Father Nick, I'm pro-life, I agree with the church's teaching. I support it. Enough about it already. I get it. Why do you need to keep hammering this over and over and over again? Fair enough. I don't mean to suggest that this is the beginning and the end of everything that we are about as Catholic Christians. But it's certainly foundational. And I believe if Jesus says the commandments are summed up in these two we have to apply ourselves with great diligence to keeping them. 
and to confronting the possibility that we ourselves are saying, am I my brother's keeper? In response to the Holocaust that is taking place in our midst. So two things I suggest. A challenge all of us to do in response to this call of Jesus that we hear in the scriptures. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. First, is to take some form of action to witness to the gospel of life. Not just to hold it and acknowledge it as true, but to proclaim it. Certainly the value of the both amendment is one concrete way to do that. But I mean in our personal lives, in our personal relationships. Interacting and, and speaking and, and witnessing to these things at times at cost to ourselves and even accepting conflicts or rejection on account of it. I'm not a guy who puts bumper stickers on his vehicle. I've never had a bumper sticker, ever. But I got one of those magnets to support the value of the both amendment and I put it on my truck. And since that's been on my truck, I've been flipped off numerous times by total strangers while wearing my Roman collar. And I couldn't tell if I was being run off the road or if this person was just a really erratic, angry driver. But clear aggression, saying, you are a piece of human garbage for supporting that. Flipping me off in public, right? Because I'm the enemy. And I smile and I, I wave and I give him a little blessing. Hey, have a great day. Return, not a curse, but a blessing. But, the, but we got to represent this. we got to step up and proclaim the truth of the gospel of life boldly, without embarrassment, and accept the consequences. Big deal. I put a bumper sticker on my truck. I'm not a hero, but it's something. Something. Nothing is not enough. And secondly, I just invite all of us to consider the ways in which we might personally begin to make reparation, spiritual reparation for the crimes against life, against the gospel of life. Some prayer, some act of spiritual penance or sacrifice, attending a daily mass and receiving communion, praying the rosary, waking up early to pray the liturgy of the hours or make a morning offering or whatever the case may be, fasting from a certain food or a certain comfort, and offering that up specifically in reparation. The word reparation comes from the the same root word as the word repair, to fix. Reparation is, is part of the Christian life. It's part of penance, praying for our country, praying for those who are most vulnerable, praying for the lives in danger of abortion, praying for those who need to be rescued from the pressures that move them so just inexorably towards a decision to, to, to commit some form of violence against their own. And in the end, I believe, with this public witness and with our own personal reparation, we begin to turn the tide and to begin putting into practice and responding to this command of Jesus. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.